Thank you very much. It's good to be uh, good to be with the men. Some of you would say this is how church ought to be every weekend. We can say things in this room that uh, is just amongst us, and that's one reason that we are divided like this. Is that when it comes to the whole area of purity and uh, lust and the battle for our masculinity and our sexuality, there are things that we men need to honestly talk about and deal with, and there are also things that uh, the women need to honestly talk about and deal with, and so that's what they're doing in that room, and this is what we're going to be doing here in our, in our time uh, today. I'd like to begin by asking, how many of you are glad you're men? I love being a man. I love being a man. Uh, I, I began to think about some of the benefits. We're bigger, we're stronger, we're faster. We don't have monthly cycles, we don't do pregnancy, and we don't give birth. We generally don't wait in lines in the bathroom, and we don't need our man friends to go with us. We don't wear makeup, we are relatively unconcerned with our appearance, and we get to date and marry women. I thought that was, like, pretty good. Now, there are also some downsides to being a man. I think that we often struggle with our, to communicate. We're not as good as the women in communication. Uh, we are, uh, lo- struggle a little bit, I think, in relationships and in friendships more than our sisters do. Uh, and we struggle uniquely in the area that I and we are talking about with our men this weekend, and that is that we have unique challenges and struggles when it comes to the, our sexuality, and specifically, God's call for purity in our sexuality. Living in a culture like we do, this is a great struggle. In fact, there is a book uh, that's one of the resources that's listed that has the title on this subject, Every Man's Battle. And I think that that's appropriately named. Uh, There isn't a one of us, if we've got any, if we've got a drop of testosterone in our blood, there isn't a one of us that doesn't struggle to one degree or another with what it means to be a man, a red-blooded, real man, living in a culture where there is so much sensuality and there is so much sexuality and there is so much female skin that is thrown at us every day. We are all in this together. I've talked with older godly men, men I greatly respect. Uh, I think a one man in his 70s, and I I said, does it get any better? And he said, Steve, it doesn't. And I found that to be so discouraging. Like, I'm going to have to fight this for 40 more years or however long it is. Apparently, the only men that don't struggle with this are dead ones. And so we are all in this together. In fact, I'll just tell you a little, a little glimpse into the leadership discussion as we were talking about uh, whether how to handle this and whether to address it with the men. One of the leaders in the church, we are talking about, okay, if we're going to talk about it, who should be the one that talks about it? And one of the leaders said, Steve, it, it should be you. And I said, yeah, like I got that figured out. And he said, that's exactly why it needs to be you. The men need to hear that. And so I want you to know as I stand before you that I am in this struggle with you. I could give you examples from today where I was in that very specific 
struggle knowing I'd be speaking on this tonight and thinking to myself, I'm talking about this tonight, and yet I feel my heart run towards opportunities for internal sensuality. And so I want to speak to this humbly, and I don't want anybody here to leave here uh, thinking that somehow I have pontificated on this subject because the Lord knows my heart and my struggle as a single man in uh, the world that we live in. It is a great, great, it is a great struggle. So, all of us are in this together. However, the other side of this is important as well. It would be easy for somebody to say, well, we all struggle with it, so it's no big deal. It is a big deal. And that's where the church has to approach this humbly as men, but also to hold up God's standard of righteousness and the call that Jesus himself made to living a life of internal purity. So it, it's not a, it is not a cop-out to say, or it can be that, if we say, oh, everybody struggles, so therefore I'm just going to be like everybody else. No, the church and, and godly men are called to live godly lives in this present dark world. And we want to talk with you, us, all together here, how do we, how do we do that? How can we gain some measure of, of victory? And I was praying before this service tonight, and I just was struck with one additional thought that I, you can see I added here, <laughs> that I really want to say, and I think it's important. I'm glad, I'm glad it came to my mind, if God gave it to me, whatever. Everything we're going to talk about here tonight could easily be reduced to legalism. And we could walk out of here determined in our own strength and by ourselves that we're going to be able to maybe do this. And I'm here to tell you, if we do that, uh, we won't last five minutes on the internet when we get home. Because the only way that this happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a genuine believer in Christ who is surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and is doing that on a daily basis. It is God's power in us, not our power to do this. We will fall, we will fall, we will fall. It is God's grace alone by the Spirit that gives us uh, the power to do this. So I don't want to make any Pharisees out of anybody here. I don't want to lay down some legalistic thing, so don't hear that tonight. In fact, I think undoubtedly this weekend as we talk about it, many of our men just need to get saved. I'll just throw it out to you. Well, there's so much to say on this, and, and uh, we need to get into it. So I just want to refer briefly to last weekend. If you were not here last weekend, I would urge you to listen to the podcast. We talked about how to affair-proof your marriage, and we did a, we did a, like a, a, a step-by-step analysis of David's adultery with Bathsheba. I just want to read that text again to you. In the spring of the year, this is 2 Samuel 11, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. 
It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her. Now, who here cannot relate to aspects of this encounter? I mean, here we are, we're living our life, you're just living your life, you're driving down the road, you're turning on the news, you're watching golf in the Sunday afternoon, uh, you are, you know, researching a stock online, whatever it is, you're just, you, you don't even have it in your mind at that point that... you've got something else in mind, when all of a sudden, out of the blue, unexpectedly, there she is, Bathsheba. Pop up on a window on the internet, the billboard suddenly grabs you, whatever it is, suddenly there there she is. Might be a, a co-worker at work, or a woman at the mall, or whatever. Suddenly, now, there is Bathsheba. What do you do? Is it only me that sees irony that her name starts with bath? We didn't want to see her, but there she is. Like David. David just went walking on the roof. Boom! All of a sudden, Bathsheba's standing right in front of, well, not in front of, but down, down below. And like Bathsheba, who the text says was very beautiful, there's only, I think, Four or five people in the entire Old Testament that that word is used for. So we're talking about the .001% most beautiful person in the entire Old Testament, Bathsheba. Just like Bathsheba, our Bathshebas are, are lovely as well. Uh, you, you, don't, you, don't get on, you, you don't get put on the magazine cover if you're ugly. These are the most beautiful women around. And they're not, they don't even look like they do. These are digitally enhanced so that every possible curve and every alluring aspect of their physique or face is maximized to grab our attention and to make us want to look at her. The funny thing, of course, is if we met this woman on the street, she wouldn't give us the time of day. But there she is looking at us, and she is looking in a very alluring fashion. She's making herself available. She looks interested in me as I look at her. And the thought springs to our mind, now that is really something beautiful. Something happened inside of David, and the thing that happened inside of David is the same thing that happens inside of us in those moments. There is a stirring, right? There's a, there is a, there's a force. Is that a good word? There's a power inside that wells up from somewhere. You know, where does it come from? I, I don't know, but it is there. And that thing is what we're talking about. The Bible calls it the word lust. Lust. Let's talk about what lust is by starting off saying what lust is not. First of all, lust is not attraction to members of the opposite sex. That is good. That is healthy. We men are glad that we get to date and marry women. It's a rough crowd to get an amen tonight, but I'm trusting you're all heterosexuals tonight. And 
find women attractive. Young men who are here, they are lovely and wonderful, and God made them that way so that we would marry them, and, uh, or eventually maybe get to marry them. So this is a good thing, this attraction. That's not lust. The second thing it's not is overwhelming infatuation, totally enthralling desire that a man has for his wife. Men, if you're married tonight and and you're like a stallion in heat towards your wife, God loves it, okay? That is holy. That is holy desire. The marriage bed is pure. Marriage is to be honored by all. And the last thing that we want to be is maybe the kind of Christianity that somehow is anti-desire. We're not anti-desire. We are pro-desire, godly desires, and that is a godly desire for husbands to just want to be ravished with the beauty of their wife. So, you know, if this is empowering you and getting you ready for whatever tonight, praise the Lord, all right? That's not... We are not the kind of church that is down on that. We want to promote that because there's a whole book of the Bible that promotes that. And so God is very much for it. That is not the issue. These are good and, and, and godly gifts from the Lord. Every man's battle is when that desire for feminine sensuality and the giving of myself in the context of marriage to my wife, when that desire is turned from that holy expression and is turned back upon my own satisfaction. I am taking a good thing and I am corrupting it. I am using it for the opposite of what God intended. Now I am taking desire and it is lust. Jesus had something to say about this. Here's what he said. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And of course, everybody had heard that. It's one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 14. Do not commit adultery. It is the Seventh Commandment. Nobody that was sitting there listening to that was like, oh, I never heard that before. I didn't realize that. They were taught that from the day they came out of the womb almost, the Ten Commandments. By the way, it's a good thing to teach your sons, uh, by the way. Everybody knew that. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, do you see... Is that not up there? All right. Not up there. Okay. It's in the Bible, though. Trust me. (laughs) Uh, What Jesus does here is Jesus takes the outward command, and he internalizes it. The Pharisees, the way that they viewed this was, the only thing that is actually sin is the act itself, the adulterous act itself. Everything up to that is fair game. So you can kind of see the Pharisees, can't you, uh, kind of having their little groups there by the marketplace in Jerusalem, kind of standing around, and and, a good-looking woman walks by, and they're like, hey, did you see that, you know, and Wow, and wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to be with her and, and oogling them, talking about them, uh, telling jokes about them, all that kind of stuff in their mind was completely fine. You could fantasize, you could desire as long as you actually didn't have sex with her, it was good. Jesus says, let me just tell you something. That is sin for sure. 
But God's righteous call is purity on the inside. And if we desire a woman who is not our wife inwardly, we fantasize about being with her. We have in reality, in, in, not in actuality, but in morality, we have, we have had internal mental adultery with her. Looking at a woman lustfully, as he says here. It's an adultery of the mind and the heart. And so Jesus tells us here that God cares, he for sure cares about what's going on on the outside, but the battle, the, the heart of the matter, men, is always a matter of the heart. And that is where the battlefield lies. And if you don't get anything else than that, I want you to get that. It is, this is not a matter of not looking at a computer and not looking at a billboard and, 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 and not watching porn movies. This is a matter of where my heart is and whether or not God and his will and his purpose is being accomplished. Do I have that purity on the, on the inside? This is what God wants from us and by his spirit enables in us. Billy Graham said this about lust. Lust is the second look. You all know what I mean by that? Every man here does, I believe. Here's how I would define lust. Lust is mentally fantasizing anything which, if I was to actually do it, would be sin. So here's where it, you can fantasize about being with your wife, and it's holy. You fantasize about being with another man's wife, and it's sin. There is a good desire and a good expression, and the marriage bed is pure. But when I am seeking satisfaction outside of what God's will is for that expression, even in my fantasy land, in my mind, now I am sinning against God. And this is why I think of all the sins that men struggle with, this is why this one is the hardest, because we have these strong desires and passions and uh, lust allows us to savor those internally. It's like a stealth sin. Nobody else needs to know that I'm doing it. I can just carry on this sin life quietly, we think, and it doesn't hurt anybody else. It seems safe to us. Now, we're still working on what lust is, because if we're going to try to defeat it, we need to know who the enemy is. So how does lust work? I want to just, let's walk through it, and I mean, this is kind of preaching to the choir. <laughs> I think any, I could pick any random man, you'd all come up here and say, okay, how does lust work? And you're going to say exactly what I'm about to say, all right? But let's just walk through the way it, the way it, the way it happens. A woman not my wife is seen. Now, that can be an actual woman. It can be a digital woman. It can be... Uh, an imaginary woman. But some woman is, is seen. That image of the woman enters in through my eye gate, my eyes. And it goes to my mind and then down to my heart. And because my heart is basically inclined to sin, because I have this sin nature, my heart, if I, if I don't stop it right there, my heart will take that visual and will sexualize the thought, which will empower then an action. It sends now back a message to the body 
that it needs to do something. And typically, the thing that it needs to do is to take a second look. Okay? Y'all with me? Nobody wants to admit it. I'm saying this is what happens to me. If I'm totally wacky here, you just say, oh, (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I will preach to you about utter hypocrisy because I know that this is the way that it is. Okay? So lust is the visual which becomes inwardly sexual. And my thoughts then turn down a sensual path so that I can, in that moment, I can take that sexualized, energized image and I can turn that into a kind of imagination, a fantasy of some kind. And the thought then produces a desire, and the desire produces an action. We saw that with David, right? Who is this woman? It became an action for him. It sends a signal to the eye to either take another look or to continue to look. And that is where lust, that is lust, is that point right there. Because I, I, you can't help but see things. I have seen things I wish I never saw. You travel the world, or you just go to the mall, or you just open a golf digest or something. You know, some car magazine. And suddenly we are assaulted by things that we, in our best moments of nobility, we wish we would not see, right? So, we can't stop that. But if I allow it to sexualize and produce now, move towards another action, this is now when lust has begun its work. A kind of visual mental thought which feeds then more of the looking. And so now I want to look some more, which stimulates now, goes down, sexualizes, stimulates more looking, which now comes down. And every one of those steps, it becomes more and more powerful and desirous. It led David to act. And that is what lust is. It is, it's, it's, I'm going to call it this, it's mind sex. It's not physical sex. But it is mind sex. And it is always the first step towards adultery or fornication. Because what happens then is, as I, as I sort of get pornified in my thinking, as I become more and more this way where I'm, I, it just is sort of happening and it's under my radar, I don't even realize how I'm doing it, my moral commitments to purity over time will be diminished. And all other moral commitments as well, by the way, including the one I made to my wife when I said I would hold holy to her until the day we die. That all sort of fades into the background as the energy of lust and sin gets a grip on my heart. It is a fantasy world. And eventually, it wants to lead to some action of some kind. And that action can be adultery, it can be fornication, it can be masturbation, it can be more images, it can be more porn sites, it can be movies, magazines, you name it. When my heart pornifies internally, my actions will become irrational, morally irrational. And you probably all know men who have acted incredibly irrationally. It's a fantasy. And when we're in the grips of it, we will do the dumbest thing. I'll just give you one example. A good friend of mine, 
one of my best friends from some years ago, Christian leader, leading a one of the, uh, I'll just say a leading ministry in the state of Florida. Uh, you know, PhD, educated, smart, slick, you know, just a really sharp guy. He heard that there were these chat rooms. Somebody was telling him about chat rooms online. And he's like, really? He said, yeah. People, somebody told him, yeah, they talk, you know, s dirty, sexual on, online. He's like, really? And so one night he just was like, I can't believe people do that. <laughs> I, what do they do? I mean, just, you know. And so he somehow got to some site, and he just watched different people chat and say things. And at first he was, you know, probably disgusted. Oh, I can't believe that. And then a couple nights later, Seriously, people do this? I can't believe it. And he got back on there. And now we get, that's what, it's happening now. It's starting to work into the imagination. And my friend, he ended up meeting a woman, you know, whatever her little pet, her secret name was, you know, uh, bimbo or something, I don't know what. Uh, his wife went out of town. He met her at a hotel. They had a sexual encounter. She drove home engulfed in guilt. He lost his job. He lost his wife. He lost his reputation. And he said to me, he said, Steve, I didn't even know her last name. She wasn't even a person to me. She was a fantasy. And this is a high-caliber Christian man. Every man's battle. That's the deadly nature of it. So seeing is not the problem. We're going to see things that we wish we didn't. It is when we savor them and we allow it to lead to sexual arousal internally. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about these women, these fantasies. And this harem, kind of this lust harem, once admitted, works against his ever getting out and really uniting with the real woman. For the harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifices or adjustments, and can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions which no real woman can rival. Among those shadowy brides he is always adored, always the perfect love. No demand is made on his unselfishness. No mortification ever imposed on his vanity. In the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. And that is why lust, at the root of lust, is pride and ego and self. When you hear about a guy that runs away with some woman and he says, I did it for love. I, I, I've never felt love like I felt with this woman. He forsakes his wife. He forsakes his family to do it. It's not about love. It is about him. It is about self. It is about ego. And I wonder tonight, as I describe this sort of stage of, what, of, of lust, I wonder tonight if you might not be right where I'm talking about. Statistics would say there is a decent portion of the men in this room who are there. It's a dangerous place to be, and it is powerful, so very powerful. And you're like, man. 
thought this walk series was supposed to be helpful. And it is. And the rest of this message is, as best I can in time and my limited thoughts on this, how do we battle this enemy? Where do we go for success with it? And what I want to suggest to you is that God wants us to battle it. He says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I have to believe that if this is God's holy word, this is hot God's holy will, and that means there isn't a one of us here who with God's help and with a, an honest desire for freedom can't gain victory in even this area that is such a struggle. And I want to give you some hope tonight. There is hope not in me, not in what I say, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is freedom from the power of sin in him. Now tonight to help us think about this, I'd like us to think about lust like a lion. Okay? Like a lion. Lions are pretty strong, aren't they? Wouldn't want to mess with a lion. You know the easiest way to kill a lion? Starve it. Starve it. And what I want to suggest to you men tonight is that when it comes to the matter of lust, like a lion, one key part of our gaining any victory is that we have to starve that lion almost to death. We'll never totally kill it until the day we die. But we've got to starve it. The more we feed it, the stronger it gets. Listen to these scriptures that kind of use the same language. Romans 13.4, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Galatians 5, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And I, I, I tell you, I, have, I, I feel that, the power of that verse so often when I have allowed myself to see, think, dwell on something that I wish that I had. And on the other side of it, I'm like, why did I do that? I felt so terrible. This flesh is so strong. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So lust then is like what this is calling the flesh. It is a powerful I mean, imagine that you actually have a lion inside of you. It's just, it's just laying there, all right? You feed it, it gets strong and emboldened. You don't feed it, it gets weak over time. Lust is like that. The more we feed it, the stronger it gets. You probably know men at work or men in your, your life. All they think about is sex, right? It's what they talk about. It's what they joke about. They talk about women, not as persons, but as objects. It just goes on and on and on with them. What's going on with them? The lion of lust within them, they have fed that lion. They probably started looking at porn when they were in third grade. And over time, every, they are sexualized to the max. That lion is so strong in them. That's what's going on. 
But when we starve it by not giving it sensual opportunities outside of God's will, it will get weaker. So how do we do that? And I have some practical suggestions here, and I need to roll. Number one is ruthlessly guard what I allow my eyes to see. I see some young men here in this section right here. I cannot tell. If the older men here were, were energized to do this, I guarantee I with them would say to you, do not let yourself see things. You will remember those images for the rest of your life. Older men, amen. Listen to the older men here. Those images burn into the memory like nothing else. If I don't see it with my eyes, I can't imagine it with my mind, and the lion isn't fed. This is what Job recognized. You've probably heard of Job's famous covenant with his eyes. He said in Job 31, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Now, what does that mean? All right? Let's go back to the Bathsheba moment. Okay? You're out on the rooftop. You're surveying the city. It's a beautiful day. You got up from your nap. All of a sudden, there she is. There is Bathsheba. Boom! Right? What did David do? He saw her, and he continued to look at her. He lingered, didn't he? And that look became lust. And men, we have got to, on a, this is like a daily thing for us, I think. We have got to have a commitment, a kind of daily commitment, that when that happens, because it is going to happen, I mean, I, I could just... I, recant in my mind today how much had happened and I went to a wedding and I worked on a sermon and I went to the hospital and I'm preaching to you tonight and on a spiritual day like I'm having I still had opportunities like we're talking about here we've got to have co- this covenant long before I see Bathsheba because here's what happens and young people you remember I'm telling you this again okay when I am standing in front of Bathsheba and she ain't got much much on That is not the time to decide whether or not I have a commitment to whether I'm going to be pure or not. Because when Bathsheba's standing in front of you and her beauty is just smacking you around and you're like, I will fall nine times out of ten. We have got to make a heart commitment in this category. I want to please the Lord. I am going to fight against lust. I want to ask you, how committed are you to the difficult task of not lusting? Let me give you a good way to know. I think all of us can relate to this. If you know how committed you are to lusting, not lusting, well, and lusting possibly too, you don't have to make any commitment to lust. That comes naturally. We have to make commitments not to lust. You can know uh, the commitment level by how you handle the TV remote. When you're flipping through on the TV, and all of a sudden there is an image, could be a commercial, could be whatever, you don't even know what channel it's on, just there it is. How quickly do you press up? Think about that a second. And you may not know the answer to that, but I guarantee your wife and your son do. They notice what dad does when the girl is there in front of him. 
I read about one Christian leader who watches TV with a remote in his hand, and as soon as there is a commercial, he flips to the safest non-lusting channel available, C-SPAN. You might want to try that. You know, you can set that up with the, you know, the quick, just set C-SPAN and then whatever you're watching. There's no good-looking senators or representatives, so... I thought that was kind of fun. All right, over the years here, I'm going to talk about this. Many of you heard this before, but I hear it from men often, so I know that this is a helpful thing. One helpful discipline to develop is what many people we call here as well the eye bounce. Now, some of you maybe have not heard this. Many of you have, but let me just explain what the eye bounce is. You're at the mall. A precarious place to be uh, spiritually, for sure. You're at the mall, and you're walking along. Say you're by yourself, although you don't have to be by yourself, but say you're by yourself. You're just kind of walking along. And all of a sudden, you kind of look over, and you happen to be walking by the Victoria's Secret store, which they have here at Southlake Mall. What do you do in that moment? I bounce would say you do this. Your eyes land on, like that, okay? See that? Eyes land on, bounce away. Now, that's deep and profound, I know. But it is harder to do than many of us realize. Because it bounces away from the Victoria's Secret, and it goes over to the gap. And there in the gap is some digitally enhanced woman who there is selling, you know, the picture, the big poster, whatever. And guess what you have to do is it goes over to this side as well. Bounce off of that side, and it come over here. Now, I actually thought about us all rehearsing this together, just so we all kind of get it. But maybe I, maybe I won't. But you see what, how that works? It's the, it's the eye bounce. So that you can probably tell the Christian man who's at the mall, you can just kind of look at him because he's walking around the mall like this, oh, 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 doing this number, Right? Or just walking like this. <laughs> Where's the shoe store? I'm safe there. The eye bounce. I think that is one of the most practical helps that I've come across. In, and to get into that discipline of not letting my eyes linger on that sight and bouncing away from it off to something less precarious. Try it. Secondly, is to use radical amputation with lust. If you really felt like there was a lion inside of you that was inside and it was wanting to devour you, what, would you, what length would you be willing you know, to, to go to? I, I called my, funny, I, I thought of this, I, I called my parents today and, and she goes, oh, there's big excitement because there's a felon loose in a neighborhood near my sister and my parents. I said, oh, really? And uh, he said, uh, she, he, my mom said that Jerry, my brother-in-law, you know, the doors are locked and he's got his gun out, you know. He's going to take care of business if he needs to take care of business with a felon that's in the neighborhood. And we see how we go, oh, that's, that's probably what I would do as well. Why? Because the felon's dangerous. How many men die to felons versus how many men die spiritually to lust? This is a great enemy. And it wants to destroy us. And if we just fritter around with it, play around with it, act like it's no big deal, 
we will, in living in Corinth like we do, we will fall. Jesus said it this way, if your right eye offends you, gouge it out. Imagine a knife right here at the eye, just, you know. If I said, hey, guy, here's what you got to do to overcome lust, and I just pulled out a pocket knife, and I went, like this blood starts pouring down. You think, man, that guy's serious about that, isn't he? But that's what Jesus is saying. Better to go to heaven with one eye than to hell with two. That's what Jesus said. Use radical amputation. If the TV is offending you, shut it off. Maybe get rid of it. Oh, I couldn't do that. You're not. How serious are you about purity? If your computer is a constant source of temptation and you cannot stop from typing in www. whatever you're typing in, then get covenant eyes on there, like we're suggesting, which I also have on my computer. The whole staff has it on the computers. Get accountability. Get a friend to hold you accountable. Deal radically with it. If there's a particular billboard on a route that you take to work and you cannot keep your eyes from looking at that woman advertising whatever thing or strip club or whatever that we have to deal with sadly in our area, I wish those would go away, take another route. If there's a magazine that's a regular source of temptation for you or going to the magazine rack at Barnes & Noble or somewhere, stop going by the magazine rack. You say, why would I do that? Because you want to go to heaven. Let me talk about the Internet just for a moment. It is hard to overestimate the damage that this is doing. Because, you know... When, when I was a kid, you know, guys at school would have porn magazines and pass them around the bus or whatever, so you had to deal with it a little bit. It was always secret and, you know, occasionally kind of a thing. Now, anybody, I mean, you can see it anytime you want, as much as you want. It's an unending supply. You, you can spend the rest of your life probably looking at images, and you're not going to see all of them. And statistics would say that this is, of all areas, the one that we are falling and struggling in the most. And once we are obsessed on the Internet, that lion is feasting on us, and we become a slave. And I just want to say, of everything that's available now, the Internet must be viewed so very carefully. And again, Covenant Eyes, we we use it. Your pastors use it. Staff uses it. You can sign up for it. We've got a group plan. I don't even know how much it costs. It's not that much, but it's worth it. And the way it works is you sign it up, it's always running, and whatever you look at is sent to an accountability partner. That has a way of keeping you from typing in, you know, whatever. And it rates what you're looking at and says, hey, partner, you might want to look at these three sites that he went to. Very helpful. I would commend it to you. Have the computer, if you can, at home in a visible spot. I'm single. That's advice I can't. It doesn't matter to me. I got the whole house to myself anyway. But... It's a helpful thing to have people that you know can see whatever you're looking at. If you have a son, do not let him have access to the Internet in his bedroom. I go to some people's houses, and I see they have their son with full cable in the bedroom. I was a conscientious Christian young man, higher than probably normal. I couldn't have handled that when I was 15. I wasn't spiritually mature enough. It's still a struggle, for goodness sakes, at 43, much less when I was 15. 
Dads, don't do that. You're just setting your son up to fall. Next thing I want to say is this. Lion-starving truths to think about when you're tempted. You know what I'm talking about? When you feel, when, when, you're, when, when the, the mind is running with the thought and you just can't get it out of your mind, how do I overcome in those moments? I have a few. You might want to write these down. These are ones that when I, it's just, it has a way of just takes the strength out of the lion. First, when I am done seeing this, I am going to feel ashamed and wish that I hadn't seen it. I use this one when I'm watching a movie or I see a movie and I know there's something coming up because I've seen it or I've heard about it or whatever it is. I think to myself, you know what? I have experienced this enough to know that whenever I see something I wish I didn't, I'll wish that I hadn't seen it. Therefore, I'm not going to switch the channel. It's very helpful. Secondly, to think about this woman that I am oogling, obsessed over, as somebody's beloved daughter. She is a person. She is not an object. That has a way of sort of taking the sexualization out of it. Third, to visualize God watching. The ultimate covenant eyes is God. Think about that. God is watching me right now. He sees what I'm looking at. Finally, when those three don't work, here's the nuclear one for a Christian. Consciously bring to your mind a mental picture of Jesus hanging on a cross, blood dripping from him, writhing in pain, and dying for the sin that I am thinking about and looking at. And for a Christian, that takes all the fun out of life. I got that one from John Piper, who I'm going to show here in a second. So, all of these are ways to starve the lion. And what I'm saying to you tonight is that you have actually two lions, and this is the last thing I want to say. You have, we have two lions in us. We have the spirit and we have the flesh. Our job is to starve the one in ways that I shared and probably many others. The other part of this, though, is that we want to feed, we want to empower and enable the spirit in us, the spirit lion, if you will. This new heart that the Spirit of God has given me. If you're a Christian here tonight, you have the old man and you have the new man. You have the old heart and you have the new heart. And that new heart is a new enablement by the Spirit to live in freedom from sin. And it also can be fed. That's what I want to finally say to you. If we feed it properly, here's... John Piper, I have often told young people that they must fight fire with fire. The fire of lust's pleasures must be fought with the fire of God's pleasures. If we try to fight the fire of lust with prohibitions and threats alone, even the tremble warnings of Jesus, we will fail. That's what I said to you earlier. It doesn't work. We must fight it with a massive promise of superior happiness. We must swallow up the little flicker of lust pleasure in the conflagration of holy satisfaction. When we make a covenant with our eyes like Job did, our aim is not merely to avoid something erotic, but also to gain something excellent. And this side of it is so helpful to realize that there is a, there is a, a gain, there is a pleasure 
that comes through purity that porn will never bring and lust will never bring. Like what? To feel within me the pleasure of God. To feel inside a clean conscience. To compare the experience of a man feeding the spirit lion versus the man who is feeding lust within him. The one man feels empty. His sensual desires never satisfied. Always got to see another picture. Always got to imagine something else. His eyes at the restaurant, always looking the waitress up one side and down the other. His wife watching his eyes go up and down and knowing in her heart what he's doing. Versus the man who is battling it. He's not winning it. We don't ultimately win it. But we, he's battling, warring with these lustful desires. And he is trying to kill the lion and feed the other. He is, he is in the word. He is giving himself to God in prayer. He is asking God for forgiveness. He is asking God for enablement. He is confessing to another man his struggle and fellowshipping with him. He is talking to his wife about the struggle. He, is, he's not, he doesn't have to hide it. He's sharing his failures. His wife sees him at the restaurant and the beautiful waitress goes by and she sees him turn his head and his son does as well, which promotes respect in her heart towards him and the son towards him. Which way do you want to live? Does lust provide the things that you really want or is it fighting it and battling it? Even in some measure of failure that actually produces in the life of the man what he wants. In other words, the woman who is looking at you longingly in the, dicks, in the digital picture, is, it's a lie. Young people, young people, get, this is another thing. It is a lie. She's saying with her eyes and her breasts and her body that if you look at her, you're going to have a satisfaction. And every man here who's ever seen and been a part of this will tell you it is a lie because it never satisfies. It cannot. Lust is a lie. But the Spirit is a promise. And that promise pays better dividends than the porn ever can. And as Christian men living in Corinth with Aphrodites and Bathsheba's all around us, we have got to see this for what it is and to recognize that in the moment of lust, what, what is going on here is it is damning my soul. It is destroying me inside. It is, it is carving out this, it's emptying my heart of, of that sense of oughtness and rightness. We're like Lewis, men without chess. It's, just, it's taking our masculinity away from us. But when we act like men of God and we struggle in this and we fight against it, the Spirit comes to our aid and we stand in the grace of God and we walk in that grace. Now I am living a life in Corinth that is pleasing to God. Not perfect. <laughs> Not perfect. But pleasing. As He sees us struggle to apply and live out the faith commitments that we've made to Him. And the more and more that I give myself to this new life in Christ, feeding on the Word, feeding on fellowship, ministries, and all the rest, these things that feed that lion of the Spirit, the more that I do that, the stronger and stronger the Spirit lion gets within me. And friends, I want to reiterate, we are in this together. I remember, I can tell you, and I don't know how many of you can, I remember the very first time I felt sexual uh, desire or arousal. I think I was in third grade, and it was a Charlie's Angels TV show that I was watching. And I remember for the first time, I was like, what's that? 
Something inside was going on. I remember thinking, what is this? And over the years, I have seen many things that I wish that I didn't. I've had many thoughts that I wish that I hadn't thought. I have felt levels of passion and desire as a single man that are embarrassing to me. It is a lifelong struggle. But here's what I do know, is that I want to walk in the light. I want to walk in purity. I want a clean conscience. I want God's pleasure in my life. The more that I want that, the stronger the spirit lion gets. Starve the one, feed the other. And if you're here tonight and you are in the bondage of sexual obsession and lust, it may be because you do not have the new heart that Jesus provides. And it might be that you need to come to genuine saving faith in Christ. And what a wonderful, that'd be great news. No wonder it's been this way. And maybe a lust message might be what God would use to cause you to want to settle that matter and to put your faith in Christ. And I guarantee you, there isn't a pastor here or an elder here that if you come and say, I have, I am in bondage. We are not going to condemn. But simply to point you to the same Savior and the same grace that we ourselves have tasted. In other words, there is a welcome, there is a love available to you. We would love to talk to you and help you. But you don't need us. You simply need the Lord. And you can believe tonight in what he did on the cross, dying for your sins. I would also suggest to you, Celebrate Recovery is a wonderful ministry. It meets uh, here on Tuesday nights. And this is a ministry we have to help people overcome these kinds of obsessions and addictions. You could be a part of that. If we can help you in some way, I guarantee a gracious response. And so I want to conclude. I've gone way over. The women are all done, but they're, they like to talk anyway. I don't think they'll mind the men talking about purity a little longer than we ought. I want to pray. And why don't we just bow? I want every, I want every head and eye closed. Can I just ask for that right now? Because I want to have just a discussion between me and you. I mean, pastors, elders, everybody, I'm the only one looking right now. If you're here tonight, and in this moment, you would say, you've, you've nailed me tonight. I want freedom from this. This is between you and me. But you could just look at me right now. And I'm just going to look around. Okay? Just looking around. I'm going to pray for you. grace to each of you. Yes, Father, we humble ourselves before you tonight as men. Our hearts are heavy with the sense of 
failure in this area that we feel and just how hard the struggle is. And yet, Lord, I see in your word and in the ministry of Jesus that he came to set us free even from this powerful enemy. And I pray for each man here, in particular those who look me in the eye. I pray for them in love and with deepest appreciation for the struggle and ask that you might give aid. I pray that you would help them to starve the flesh and to feed the spirit. I pray that through Jesus they might find freedom. And Lord, I pray that the pain that sexual obsession creates might be avoided by everyone here. To you be the glory. We ask in Jesus' name. And all the men said, Amen. Thank you. I was supposed to be done about 15 minutes ago.